was wonderful music. That's as good as it gets. I appreciate that. Thanks for coming back. I wasn't sure you'd return after yesterday, but I'm glad that you made it. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 13, if you would please. Now, a couple of comments. Uh, I always was told that time goes faster as you get older. But Brother Getch just said a week and a half was like a year and a half. So that encourages me. Maybe I'll think I'm going to live longer, or it'll feel like I live longer than I actually am. I'm, I'm helped by that. And I want to just echo uh, his comments about Bobby Revis. I, I don't like a lot of rich people. I never had to depend on them. There's people in our church had some money. I never went to them individually. I just announced stuff. They gave what they gave, and they were good people, didn't have a... But a lot of rich people, they want to boss you. They're used to bossing everybody else, and they want to buy stuff with their money. Now, not all of them. Bobby Revis is as sweet and humble and down-to-earth as anybody you'll ever meet, and he has done all kinds of good for the cause of Christ. I was with him one time, and Brother Chapel was unable to be at the meeting because of a situation here that he had to attend to, so he, he uh, did his sessions by Zoom. It was before Zoom, but by, by a live stream kind of deal. And uh, Brother Revis had asked us preachers to come be with him as the preachers that were there. And he had a 1957 Chevrolet, beautifully restored. That's my favorite old car, it's a 57 Chevy. And he said, Brother Ouellette, I was going to give this to Brother Chapel, see if he could sell it and use it for the college. The car was worth about $80,000. And he said, I, I don't know if he'd want it or not. I said, well, I believe I can speak for Brother Chapel in that instance. And yes, I think he would take the car. And he did sell it and use it for the ministry. So please pray for him. He's one of the finest men that I know. I want to apologize. Yesterday I read the whole chapter. And I'm sorry I spent so much time on the Word of God instead of, <laughs> instead of just my own comments and statements. But I'll review what we learned. The man of God. Or 15 times in 31 verses, he's called that. Sent by God from Judah, the godly place. Not a perfect place. Their leader was kind of a mess, Rehoboam. But they were where the temple was. They were where God had wanted his people to worship. To go see Jeroboam, who had just split off and taken the ten tribes in the north and built his own altar and made two golden calves for the people of Israel to worship so they wouldn't be tempted to go back to Jerusalem and maybe, maybe want to stay there. And he cried against the altar. His title, the man of God, his task to tell this people their altar was false and not worshipped appropriately and didn't have God's approval. And then his testing, he's indicted by the king and then he's invited. Now, you could have made a good excuse for him to go see the king. Well, if I see him, I can influence him. If I see him, I can, I can help him understand. If I see him, I can tell him why this is wrong. I, I can't help him if I don't spend time with him. But God's command was not infiltration. God's command was separation. God does not teach that we help people by fellowshipping with the ungodly. God teaches we help people by preaching the gospel to the ungodly. 
We go in as soldiers to do battle for the King of Kings and, and bring converts into the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he passes that test, both the test of the time he's indicted and the time he's invited extremely well. And then we see his turning. And here's what the Bible says. There's an old man of God. And he said to him in verse 15, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread, nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, thou shalt not eat bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again by the way that thou camest. And he said unto them, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. Say the next phrase with me again, if you would, please. But he lied to him. Father, would you guide me as I speak to say those things that will most help the people now and in the days ahead? Would you empower me so by your spirit that something will be dropped into our soul and it can be recalled by your spirit in those times that we most need it? And I pray that you'd bless and that your name would be uplifted and that all that I do would please you in Jesus' name, amen. His turning. There is now a different source trying to draw him aside. Notice both the pagan king and the old man of God are trying to get him out of God's will, off of God's path, away from God's instruction. It's just a different source trying to accomplish the same thing. Now, as you study this passage, you'll find some people wonder why the prophet's even there. He's at the center of idolatry. It's a place where there is no real worship of the true God. Why is he even there? We don't know the answer. Some people think there was, because there was a school of the prophets there sometime earlier, he had stayed there. Some people think he'd stayed there and been influenced by that place. But in 20 years, King Asa is going to come to the throne of Judah, and, and you ought to study that story. It's a phenomenal story because Asa turns toward God, and people move from Israel to come to Judah. They fell unto him in great numbers, great multitude, the Bible says. Hey, did you know that if there was a church in your town, where people heard the gospel and got saved and their lives were transformed. Drug addicts got clean and drunkards got sober and marriages got put back together and children got reunited with their parents and, and lives were turned around. Did you know if that was happening? It attracted all kinds of people. I don't worry too much about the contemporary church. I believe we're already starting to. We're going to be winning their members to Christ in the next couple of decades, just like we've been winning Methodists and Lutherans and Presbyterians to Christ in the last 50 years. Because in many cases, the gospel they preach is so watered down, it's no gospel at all. You think I'm making that up? I'll challenge you. Just Google Rick Warren Standard Salvation Prayer. Just look it up. See what he has people pray to, quote, trust Christ. It's a different source. 
but it's a dishonest source. He lied to him. Now, here is a man who is still capable of speaking God's truth, this old prophet. Because when the young prophet turns to him, he winds up getting a message from God and saying, you're going to die. But mixed with his truth is error. The most dangerous people are not those who are pure error. The most dangerous people are those who are part error and part truth. Because you're attracted enough to the truth that if you're not careful, you'll wind up embracing the error. So there's our story. Let me give you a few truths or principles, teachings from this story. Number one, valid discouragement can lead to invalid decisions. Rehoboam was a bad leader. Remember, they they came to him and they said, hey, your dad Solomon made things tough on us. Boy, uh, we had to work hard to be uh, building the temple and building his palace. Would you lighten up a little bit? And he went to the old men that had been his dad's counselors, and they said, oh, that's a great idea. Lowering taxes is always a great idea. And they said, if you will serve the people this day, they'll be thy servants forever. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good deal to me. I do one thing for them, they're going to serve me forever. I think I'd take that deal. But the Bible says he forsook the counsel of the old men and took counsel of the young men that grew up with him. Now, if you read that story carefully, it makes it clear that he did not forsake the counsel of the old men when he listened to both sides and chose the the counsel of the young men. He forsook it when he turned to even ask the young men. Did you know your friends that are your peers, that are your age, typically haven't lived much longer than you and had much more experience than you and don't have much more wisdom than you? And they said, oh, you ought to be tough, man. Tell them, your little finger is going to be thicker than your father's loin. He chastised you with whips. You're going to chastise them with scorpions. And Rehoboam goes out, and he's Mr. Tough Guy. And 10 of the 12 tribes said goodbye. Now, Rehoboam was not a good king. He was not a wise leader, but Jeroboam was worse. Jeroboam made golden calves. He made an altar of his own devising. He led the people away from the true God. You know what happens to a lot of young men? They compare the worst of a biblical crowd with the best of an unbiblical crowd, and the unbiblical crowd looks better. Their their best is better than our worst. Now, their best is not better than our best. But you've been in a church and you've seen a split and you've seen some failures of leadership and you know what's going on there. And all they show you is the veneer and the outside. Everything looks wonderful. And they wind up going from Rehoboam to Jeroboam. You will be disappointed. I hired a man one time to be our music director. He'd been in a situation where he'd been disappointed. He was putting some new flooring in his house, and I had done that when I was in college, so it's not the kind they do now. It's just it's cut, like called a congolium, just kind of a roll of stuff you'd put down, and I was helping him put it in. We're kneeling down on his floor, and he looked at me, he had great big eyes, and he said, 
you won't disappoint me, will you? And I said, yes. And I kept that promise. <laughs> yes, I'll disappoint you. Brother Gates, one of the finest men I know. Dr. R., uh, one of the wisest, uh, most devoted people I know in the cause of Christ. you got great people here. Glad Brother Shetler is still uh, involved in the college, even though there's a, a little different phase in his life. Uh, one of the most excited people I know about the work of God, happy to be in the service of God. These are great people. Hang around any of them long enough, they'll disappoint you. The chapel's the most amazing pastor I know God has used him in this era to build a ministry unlike anything that you can find anywhere. Hang around him long enough, he'll disappoint you. But don't let a valid discouragement lead to an invalid decision. When I was in college, they had a man come to speak. His name was Alex Dunlap. He had a ministry winning Roman Catholic priests and nuns to Christ and then helping them get back into regular society. And he told how one day he got stopped for a speeding ticket. There was a bumper sticker on the back of his car that said, Jesus never fails. And the policeman, kind of sarcastic and kind of joking, said, well, I see your bumper sticker's not accurate. He said, would you go read it again, make sure you got it right? Cop looked at it, came back. He said, it said, Jesus never fails. He said, I'm Alex Dunlap, an imperfect saint. <laughs> hey, I got news for you. Jesus never fails. Everybody else does. Don't let, in, uh, don't let valid disappointments lead you to invalid decisions. Number two, God's truth never changes. That's pretty simple. And we all know that except when we think we need to change. Hey, don't eat, don't drink, don't go back home the same way you came, even if somebody says they saw an angel. I'm the Lord God, I change not. Meddle not with them that are given to change. Now, I'm all for growth. I'm all, Brother Chapel has, has been extremely innovative in his ministry. One of the first to use screens, and he uses them to great effect and, and put pictures and maps and things like that up during his messages. One of the first to use full-color tracts. Our tracks used to look like they'd come off a mimeograph machine and been stored in a basement for six years and eaten that by rats before we ever passed them out. People used to age wine, I guess. We wanted to age our gospel tracts. He got in trouble for having nice tracks. He was criticized for having nice tracks. He had one that said, you've never been so loved. Picture a baby with lipstick kisses on it. And somebody said, that's not the way you've done. I said, no, no, our tracks should say, you've never been so hated. Come to our church, we'll beat the devil out of you. <laughs> I'm all for that. But you know what Brother Chapel didn't do? He never changed Bibles. He never changed his message. He never changed his doctrine. He never changed his purpose to get the gospel to everybody that you can and disciple them and help them grow. God's truth never changes. Number three, I said this before, good men can lead good men astray. Most people who go off track will be led off track not by wicked people, not by evil people, not by obviously ungodly people, but by people who are still capable of speaking some of God's truth, but have it mixed with a significant amount of error. Now, 
all that's application and correct, I think, lessons to draw from this passage. I'm going to give you now some of my suggestions. These do not carry the weight of Scripture. I think they make sense based on what we see in the story. I think I can support them from the Word of God. Uh, they're just my suggestions. All right? Uh, I'm just going to give you a couple ideas here. Number one, watch out for people who want to redesign the altar. In 1 Kings chapter 12, we see exactly what Jeroboam had done. The Bible said in verse 33, offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel, the 15th month of the 8th month, even the month which he had devised of his own heart and had ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. It was his idea. There's a man named George Barna. George Barna polls people to see what they like. And a long while ago, he polled people and found out that unsaved people don't like church. They didn't like preaching. They didn't like Christian music. Wasn't that strange? Who would have thought? And so he said you needed to design your church to be a good place for unchurched Harry. Make unchurched Harry feel at home. Now, I'm all for making people feel welcome. But when the word of God is preached, I want them to feel convicted. I want God to say, hey, you're a sinner on your way to hell. You better trust Jesus. And a lot of people did what he said. And they, they built their churches based on his advice from his survey. You might want to read a couple of books George Barnett wrote later on. Uh, one was called Pagan Christianity. The other, I think, was called Revolution. George Barnett found out that the contemporary churches were not doing very well. They didn't have a biblical worldview. Their divorce rate was higher than, than the world itself sometimes. They did not give generously. Their lives had not been impacted by the messages that had been preached to them. And so George Barnett in those books, pretty well gave up on the church. He said, you ought to have a group of no more than 30 people, and they'll be together, and they all get to talk. And Didn't like the church model at all. So I wrote to Mr. Barnum, and I said, uh, I wonder to what extent you accept responsibility for the churches you now condemn seeing as they followed the advice you gave them to build their churches. And I said, by the way, there's one not far from you, and I told them about this church. I said, you might want to check there. They're seeing lives changed. Bill Hybels, kind of the guru of the contemporary church movement, pastored Willow Creek for many, many years, and he commissioned a man to do a survey. Paid him $80,000. man used to work for Procter & Gamble, and they surveyed his church. And it's in his book called Reveal, Where Are We Going? You know what they found out? They found out the same thing George Barna found out. They found out that people were getting divorced at a higher rate than the world. They didn't have a worldview that was biblical. They didn't give generously. Their lives were not changed by the messages that they had heard. And, George, and Bill Hybels wrote this. Now, it's amazing. If you just had enough money, you could learn some really cool stuff. Because what he found out for $80,000, these are his words, his words, when people crossed the line of faith, watch out for people who make up new ways to talk about being saved. Bible terms, pretty good terms. You got saved, you got born again, you believed in Jesus Christ. But uh, he said when they crossed the line of faith, 
Are you ready for this? Here's what he learned with this $80,000 survey. We should have told them to read the Bible themselves. Well, that's pretty revolutionary. I bet your poor little independent Baptist churches you came from never told you to read the Bible yourself. Now watch out for people who want to redesign the altar. Change the Bible. Change the Bible they use. Change preaching, which is declaring the word of God and requiring a decision. That's Bible preaching. The word preach, is, they tell me, is the Greek word kerut, and it is the word for a king's herald. And when the king's herald came, he didn't come to give you a weather report. He came to tell you to go to war. He came to tell you to gather to hear the king. He came to tell you to pay your taxes. Bible preaching always leads you to a point of decision. Or they'll change the gospel. Make it some watered-down deal where instead of knowing you're a sinner and on your way to hell and Jesus is the only answer and you trust him and him alone, you just say, well, Jesus, I'd like you to be part of my life. And watch those people that believe if you apply the word of God to tell people how to live, you're somehow not gospel-centered. Man, you just read the sermons of Jesus. Read the teaching and preaching of the apostle Paul. Read what Peter said. They all tell you how to live. That's what a preacher is supposed to do. Watch out. For those who don't like to go knocking on doors and confronting individuals with the gospel of Jesus Christ, oh, say, you can get more people by putting ads on Facebook. Put all the ads on Facebook you want. Use all of those new ways to get out the message that you want. I'm for all of that. But never forget it is your job as an individual to preach the gospel to every creature. Don't let anybody redesign the altar. Here's my second suggestion. Watch out for people who are motivated by bitterness. A lot of people, either side, they want to attack. If you, if you know their story, you find out they were hurt. Here's what the Bible says. Looking diligently, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. People who operate out of bitterness are going to defile others. It doesn't stop with them. There's difficulty for them. They're troubled. But there's defilement for others. And many people have been unwittingly damaged because a bitter person has come out and, and tried to tell them what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that. And they're motivated by bitterness. The Bible says where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. The word strife is a word to divide into political parties. It means to be fractious. Brother Chapel built his ministry largely on a philosophy from the book of Philippians where it says striving together for the faith of the gospel. And the term striving together is an oxymoron. Because striving is to divide and, and to be fractious and to, I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican, I'm a conservative, you're a liberal, we hate each other. But God said, no, 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 I want you to have that same energy, I want you to have that same intensity, but I want you to do it together to get people to know Jesus. Watch out for people that are motivated by bitterness. Watch out for people that are rebels. 
I read this quote years ago, and I cannot source it. Dr. Rasmussen probably could tell you who said it and what book it's in and on what page. If I was ever on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, he'd be one. I could be all five of my lifelines, as long as he didn't ask you about Hollywood. But I read this statement. It said that a man is not a man until he has killed his father. And the idea was that people think to grow up and to be tough, they've got to rebel against the authority God had placed in their lives. And they show how grown up they are by being anti whoever God had put them under when they were developing. Rebellion. I've got a friend in Washington State, Terry Lawson. He had a friend that went far contemporary. And, and his friend said to me, he said, Lawson, he said, I did a lot of what I did out of rebellion. He said, but I've gone too far to come back now. Rebellion is not a Bible characteristic. It's not one that God honors. You won't find it listed among the fruit of the Spirit. And then watch out for the cool kids and the mean girls. There's, there's a crowd that their whole approach is to make fun of everybody else. When I was in college at Bob Jones University, I, I went there a long time ago. I've recovered from most of it. They had a thing called societies. They were a, a supposedly Christian alternative to fraternities. And there's a society, I bet you, Dr. R, tell you a similar experience called Alpha Omega. Alpha Omega was all the cool kids. They dressed right and they were rich or they acted rich. And here's what they do. They'd stand on the steps of the dining hall and watch kids come up to, chat, to, to eat dinner and make fun of the way they were dressed. Now, the reason people do that is because they're very insecure about themselves, and as long as they're criticizing somebody else, nobody's criticizing them. But they do a lot of harm along the way. Watch out for the cool kids and the mean girls. Watch out for people who spend more time exposing stuff than expounding Scripture. A ministry whose whole motivation is to tell what's wrong with Instead of how to serve God and what the Bible says about building a church and how to walk in the Spirit and how to know the power of God, I just don't have much time for that kind of stuff. I used to read a, a magazine like that, and the guy was right about most of what he said, but every time I read it, I got a headache. Every time I read it, I felt like I needed a bath inside. It was like that group I mentioned yesterday, and I'd wonder, well, what, what can we do to do more to help God? What can we can do to, uh, to encourage people to walk with the Lord Jesus. Uh, watch out for people who spend more time exposing stuff than expounding Scripture. Here's what the Bible says about that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I got the wrong place. Maybe yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, verse, verse 16, excuse me. It says, but shun profane, and Second Timothy 2, 16, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Watch out for people just babbling all the time and, and that what they have to say is fairly empty. And look at verse 23 of the same chapter, foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. 
Watch out for those questions, those discussions, those forums, those venues that wind up gendering strife. And then my last suggestion is spend much more time reading the Bible than what others say about the Bible. Dr. Getz said something I never heard. I'm, I hope I'm not stealing his thunder. We are just chatting before he came in here. He said that John Bunyan never read any book other than the Bible. That's incredible. Now, he wrote a book, and apparently he expected people to read his book, but he never read their book. By the way, be careful about engaging people on social media. Most of it's just junior high nonsense and a total waste of time. I, I have a Twitter account. My young guys encouraged me years ago to get one. Now, I've got to tell you, some of the stupidest people in the world follow me on Twitter. Not everybody who follows me on Twitter is stupid. I'm not saying that. I tweeted one time a very deep biblical thought. I said, your odds of being struck by lightning are one in 500,000. Your odds of, of uh, uh, winning the mega, well, your odds of being bit by a shark are one in 4 million. Your odds of winning the mega millions lottery are one in 325 million. Those are all accurate numbers. I looked them up. And then I said, your odds of your non-Chick-fil-A fast food order being accurate are one in 6,435 million. And I had someone respond. And they said, and they weren't joking, they were serious. They said, actually, your odds of being bitten by a shark go up when you're in the water. <laughs> Helpful. My fear of land-based shark bites has been diminished. <laughs> it's not all that stupid, but a lot of it's pretty much that stupid. I never engage. Now, if I have occasion to have people with a sincere question, I'll answer them by a direct message. That's silly stuff. That's junior high stuff. Be careful about that. I'm criticized for not following anybody on Twitter. There's a few reasons for that. One is I didn't know where it stopped. If I follow the chapel, you should follow Dr. Ashton. If I follow Dr. Ashton, you should follow Dr. Gatch. If I follow Dr. Gatch, you probably ought to follow his secretary. Another is, I just want to know you're part of that nonsense. My, I don't know what it's supposed to be. My Twitter is just a billboard I put sayings on there. If you want to read them, fine. If you don't, I don't care. But watch out about all that stuff. You waste a lot of time doing that. And you accomplish almost nothing for the cause of Christ. Spend much more time reading the Bible than what others say about the Bible. Charles Spurgeon, that young lady come to him one time, she wanted to marry an unsaved man. He's not saved? No, but I think I can win him. I think I can reach him. Spurgeon was five feet, eight inches tall, or five feet, six inches tall. One of those had a 58-inch waist. And he stood up on his desk, and he said to the young lady, take my hand. I'm sorry, he had her stand up on the desk. Excuse me. He had her stand on his desk, and he said, take my hand. And she did, a little strange. And then he said, pull me up. She said, I can't. He said, no, but I can pull you down. Haggai, if the priest has holy flesh and he touches unholy flesh, does it become holy? No. No, but the holy flesh becomes unholy. Somebody said it this way, you don't catch good health. If you're sick and I'm healthy and I cough on you, you don't get better. You catch bad health. That's the Bible principle. That's what the Bible says so much about he that walketh with lies, men shall be wise, and the companion of fools shall be destroyed, and iron sharpens iron. 
Roy Thompson was a great preacher, started the Cleveland Baptist Church. And for 20 years, he never had a Christian school. He said, I want my kids in the public school winning other people to Christ. But he started a Christian school. I preached at it. It was so big, he had to have two shifts for his Christian school. Didn't have buildings for all of them. Some came in from like 6 to noon, and, or you know, 7 to noon, and noon to 5 or whatever. And Dr. Thompson said this. He spent, I spent 20 years putting my canaries in the cage with the sparrows to teach the sparrows how to sing. He said, when I got done, I had no singing sparrows, but I had a bunch of canaries that would only chirp. So those are my suggestions. Here's my encouragement. Stand for truth. Always let people know what you believe that's right and godly. Be kind about it. Speak the truth in love. But don't let error go unanswered when you're in a conversation. Don't get in an argument about it. Just say what the Bible says. Choose the right crowd. Choose people, as I said earlier, I always encourage people to stay with folks that have the right position and the right disposition. Be especially cautious about people who may try to change God's call and God's influence on your life. The Bible says, continue in the things which thou hast learned. You didn't have perfect parents, but you had God-chosen parents. You didn't come from a perfect church, but it was God's church that he designed for you to be part of. You didn't have a perfect pastor, but he's the preacher God put in your life. And God said, I want you to grow. I want you to go forward. I want you to learn. I want you to add. But I don't ever want you to get off the path of Bible truth. Continue in the things thou hast learned. And then be kind to your opponents. There are people with whom I have significant disagreements. I would oppose them on Bible versions, philosophy of ministry, the place of women in ministry, and any number of other issues, and I am not their enemy, and they are not my enemy. If they're winning people to Christ, I'm glad about that. One of them suffered a sadness the other day. It wasn't his fault. It had nothing to do with him having philosophies that I differ with. And my heart went out to him, and I texted him. I said, I'm so sorry. I can't imagine what you're feeling, what you're going through. I'm praying for you. I appreciate the way you handled it. And he texted me back, and he said, your text meant the world to me. You see, I'm totally against some of the things that guy promotes, and I'm going to promote the opposite side. But he's not my enemy. He's a brother with whom I cannot work together. He's a brother with whom I cannot have ministry, fellowship. I could have personal fellowship. We could have lunch and have a great time. Be kind to your opponents. And then know the Bible. I want you to do that. I mentioned that before. And the last thing I want to say is this, and here's the decision I'd like you to make today. Just stay on the path. Monroe Parker was a great old preacher. Dr. Getz knew him better than I did. I, I had he and Bob Jones Jr. and Harold Seitler preach at our church at the same time. Fabulous meeting, a wealth of wisdom and experience. Monroe Parker was intensely uh, athletic, played football in Thomasville, Alabama, I think high school and college. Monroe Parker used to do a headstand and then do push-ups. Try that when you get back to the dorm. We'll know who did by the neck braces tomorrow. <laughs> And Monroe Parker knew more facts about the history of the work of God and where people got off track than anybody I ever knew. A brilliant man. I think you'd probably say something similar about that, about him. Monroe Parker was answering questions at our church in that meeting, and he said this. He said, there's a path marked fundamentalism. 
You can call it orthodoxy, Bible truth, whatever. And he said, along that path, there are some exits. <laughs> there's new evangelicalism. There's the charismatic movement. Today, would say there's the emergent church, the contemporary church. And he said, some people get off at the exits and some people stay on the path. And he so perfectly illustrated what my heart was as a young preacher. By the grace of God, I want to stay on the path. 